Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Chad. And I'm Charlotte. The basic question for today, what is the relationship between Christian faith, Christian identity, and national identity? And let's just say this is a good question to consider because this has become a huge problem. I mean, in my mind, way too many Christians have too closely identified their faith and their national identity so that it's become a confusion. Right. Uh, people don't differentiate between the two. And, you know, the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world are radically different, operate radically different. Sure. Um, so it's a problem when they become too closely identified. And I used to use this as kind of a metaphor for the problem. I would say that, you know, um, some Christians have a tendency to wrap the cross in a flag. Mm -hmm. I would use that as kind of a metaphor. Well, people are now putting those two symbols together. Right. Um, you see, you see it on T-shirts and, right. and so on. So it's a, it, it's something I certainly think Christians need to um, think about. So let's just clarify, kind of using these uh, kingdom of God, kingdoms of the world. I mean, in my mind, one of the radical differences between the two is how they operate. You know, governments, kingdoms of, of this world, governments operate ultimately by force. That's how they compel obedience when, sure. it, when it comes down to it. Yes. That is not how the kingdom of God works, certainly not how the church works. Right. We, I don't want to say compel obedience through love, but love is the prime mechanism, not force. Right. So that fun, fundamental distinction has to be made. And this is why, in my mind, separation of church and state is probably beautiful. Because anytime the church gets too closely aligned with government power, invariably they use that power to do horrendous things. Right. Um, but not just horrendous things. The, the whole idea, and this gets down to what is referred to as Christian nationalism, this idea that... <clears throat> We can, we're going to enforce what we understand as Christian values on everyone through the force of law, right? Um, this is just not how the church operates. It's not, it's not what we're called to be or do. The way of life that Jesus expects of his followers is always going to come into contrast. It's always going to come into conflict in one way or another with uh, the force that governments use to compel obedience. And, you know, at some point we can talk about Paul's statement in Romans 13 because that's kind of the main passage Christians rely on. But um, I just think when you identify too closely Christian faith and national identity, you run into serious problems that I think we're seeing today. I think it's not even a question of, like, too closely. I think at all is a problem, Okay. frankly. Uh, I think... We in the United States maybe have a particular problem because of our history, uh -huh. our national history, and you know even the mythology around this country that began with colonization, right? So even this idea of we're this shiny city on the hill, uh -huh. we're this new beacon and new and new Jerusalem imagery uh, right. connected there. Um, that God has given this land as a special 
gift. Manifest destiny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that then that is maintained and now we are seeing it just absolutely blow up in our faces. Uh, that move from that through to a, a civic religion to now the way that our our symbols, the story, the language of Christianity has been so distorted and folks becoming comfortable or accustomed to that distortion in a way that they don't even question it, but that now we are seeing, uh, you know, these t-shirts and things that are, have the thin blue line flag and a cross and Bible verses on them. Yeah. And, uh, how horrific and disgusting that is. Um, because? Well, I mean, I guess I would start with the fact that my Lord and Savior was executed by the state. By the police. In an extrajudicial... <laughs> by the Roman... Government. Killing, right? Yeah. Um, so there's something problematic there. There's something terribly problematic about... The, that is the police force, our military, are the instruments of the state to control the populace through violence yeah. um, and is essentially anti-Christian uh, in that way because that's how that's what we understand that power is through love, that power is self-sacrificial, that that's not power and might, those symbols. So it's a it's a lie then to couch the images of the state of state violence then with the cross a, a cross yeah it really is strange um, but you know sometimes they say ah oh, they're just symbols um, but obviously people take both of these symbols very seriously. So when you bring those together, I think it helps to look, like you're saying, you're bringing together really two opposing forces. Yeah. The force of love and then the force of the state, which compels through physical force and violence. But it goes back to this, I mean, this idea that Christians in this country um, seem to have a the two go together so closely they don't differentiate. You were mentioning in, um, ways the state religion, you know, has influenced Christian faith. What examples of that come to mind? Like you mean in worship or? Uh, no, I'm thinking of civic religion in terms of uh, there's this kind of very deist uh, religion in our state cult um you know we see in the in god we trust well who's god what god why right so there's this kind of um ambiguous appeals to the divine right right and then folks oh no it's the christian god well it's not we don't worship god and certainly not one who needs his name on money right so i mean it's not it's not a specific god Right, this God that shows up in these appeals and these prayers and stuff has no personality. Uh, right, we have a very personal God, right? Not just through Jesus Christ, but a God who we believe to be active in human history, etc. Mm -hmm. So the state religion is calling on just like a God, 
a power that is somehow manifested through the state. You know, one of the more horrifying examples kind of leading up to this, I would point to, would be around Colin Kaepernick um, kneeling during the national anthem, Mm -hmm. right? So that's a flag, it's a state symbol and a state song, right? Mm -hmm. But he's accused of not just being unpatriotic, Mm -hmm. right? Of being less of an American, but of somehow opposing these grand ideals that I don't see anywhere really manifested in this country, but the ideas of liberty and happiness and truth and goodness, right? That he's on the wrong side of all of those things. Right. Okay? As though those are actually what our, those symbols and our state stand for in some way. Those folks are claiming then the things that belong to the state, that those ideals belong to the state rather than to God, to Christ. The state does not provide us with liberty and happiness and freedom. Those are all ideals that we get from our God. So there's a lie behind all of this as the state, as as the purveyor of all good <clears throat> things. Okay? Well, it's not. The state can be, an, can be an instrument that God uses for some of those things, but yeah. those things don't end at the state. That's God. I mean, I mean that's, you want to really be a Calvinist, what's the, the state is not the font of every blessing. Okay? But that's the way that it's perceived so that if, Colin Kaepernick or others are not showing the proper reverence uh-huh. for the state through the state's symbols, through this cultic activity that for some reason we do at football games, uh-huh. then it's not just like a crime against the United States. It's a crime against these ideals which have been married into those symbols and have no reason to be tied to whatsoever. So so what it says is we have a God-given right to pursue these things. Sure. And you're saying that somehow that's uh, the right has been transferred to the state. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, those ideals. It's like it's oh, you know, they're fighting for your freedom. No, I don't get my freedom for the from the military. My freedom comes from God, okay? okay. They're, uh, the, we're fighting for your prosperity or something. No, I don't get prosperity from the state. I get prosperity from God. Uh-huh. Okay? So it's, like, it's almost like this false ceiling, but it's you, the state usurping the ideals, the values of this kind of ambiguous Christianity, but is taking on the attributes that are rightly God's. assigned to God. Yeah. I mean, there's... A, it, it, you mentioned uh, state religion. How would you put it? Civic religion. Civic religion. I mean, for many, the political realm right now has become a religion. Sure. You know, it entails the hope. There are saviors. Yes. Um, there's orthodoxy that you can't 
go against or you're a heretic. Right. Everything can be sacrificed for the sake of preserving. Um, it's strange. But there's the, definitely this religious aspect to uh, a lot of folks' political... It has become their religion in a sense. Right. Even for Christians. So, <clears throat> so here's what one thing that's so dangerous about this. Uh, first, well, maybe we'll go back a moment and say it's something that Jesus seems to be very worried about. Jesus often warns against the imperial cult. Okay? So the claim Jesus is Lord is already running up against the claims of Caesar, the claims of empire. Right. right? Um, that those other things have no power, like the Lord's, like God's, like Jesus's. Then we see him, you know, have these conversations around the face of Caesar on coins mm -hmm. and this I, this practice of idolatry around that. We have, you know, his complete kind of failure even to defend himself before Pilate, mm -hmm. ultimately, can be so frustrating, but it's a way of... Him say uh, he's not even going to recognize or participate in this kind of event, and the claims that are made around him through the the march to the cross through the crucifixion, right? Mm -hmm. So this mockery of of him and his kingship through the right. thorn of crowns and through an inscription that says this is the king of the Jews and things like this, and then of course in the in Acts and the epistles, we have these flare-ups or discussions around you know, meat offered to idols. Mm -hmm. the, you know, what's the what's a Christian's right relationship to these sorts of things and the, the imperial, imperial cult. cult? Yeah, yeah. And this call ultimately to step outside of all those things because the imperial cult isn't just like there's a once a month holiday or something or sometimes the emperor parades by. This is like constant. So, you know, if you're a member of, let's say, the Bread Bakers Guild, mm -hmm. and that's how you make your livelihood, well, in your guild meetings, whatever, are starting with these, the civic religion mm -hmm. activities and these prayers. So it's asking, so Christianity is asking to call you out from all of that. You have a different allegiance altogether. A completely different allegiance. And as we've seen, Jesus over and over has really little interest in people who aren't all the way Christian, of any kind of split allegiance, whether that's right. an allegiance between Christianity and property, Christianity and their family or friends, Christianity and their own livelihoods. Unless you hate mother and father, unless you hate your own life, you can't follow me. Yeah. Now, nowhere do we see more a warning around the imperial cult, around empire, around mingling these symbols than in the book of Revelation. Okay. So, um, we obviously can read this piece of scripture in manifold ways, but let's look at it from the perspective of it speaking against Rome in particular. Yeah. Um, 
and it's talking about all empires, right? It's talking about Babylon and everything that came before Rome and everything that will come after Rome. But in this book of Revelation, the warning around, let's say, the beast from the sea and the beast who comes from the land, mm -hmm. right, too often gets interpreted by Christians in this kind of overblown apocalyptic language and expecting an antichrist that is, you know, hello, I'm the antichrist. <laughs> right, so, I mean, some kind of monster right. that's going to arise, okay? And the beasts are described as being monstrous, mm -hmm. okay? But we would recognize if a monster showed up and we would probably, I mean, like a big, it's got all these horns and heads and things, mm -hmm. okay? In the book of Revelation, though, people are worshipping this beast that has come from the sea, mm -hmm. right? And the beast from the land is the false prophet, let's say, but is pointing people to worship to this beast from the sea. Yeah. And the beast from the sea, so there's something more insidious there, right? It doesn't just look like a total monster, there's something that's appealing. Because okay. people are going to it. Yeah, and are worshiping it. And this is Rome. Not necessarily. Okay. But here's the warning that I see in this beast from the sea. The beast from the sea and the beast from the land have appropriated the language and the reverence and symbols around the faith. And they are skewed, actually, ever so slightly. Okay. So the Antichrist isn't just, like, the polar opposite. The Antichrist is deceptive because it looks so much, in some ways, like, but isn't. Like you're talking about clothing, the cross, and the flag yeah. kind of activity. So this beast from the sea has what has a wound on his head that kind of keeps healing and opening and healing and opening so we have something there that kind of because the central image in revelation is the image of the the lamb that is slain yeah okay so we have a kind of play on that there but the big big play mm -hmm. I think is with this number of the beast. It is a human number. 666. <laughs> Chad is rocking out. He <laughs> has made some reference. Oh, an Iron Maiden reference. Okay. So, okay. So this number of the beast, 666. Some manuscripts have 616. Okay. Okay. And there's a way in which, uh, you know, we all fight around this number, argue around it, and yeah, probably probably is a reference to Nero and the persecution that happened then. Um, but it's more than that, because all symbols in apocalyptic literature have to be, right? Um, which is, it's a kind of skew of what it should be. It should be seven, seven, seven. 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 Yeah. Okay. So it's just close enough. To be mistaken. To be mistaken. 
And 717 is an okay number. The 7 being the heavenly number in the, in the Bible. Yeah. yeah. And 3 being another good, perfect no, kind yeah. of thing. Maybe a little early to read kind of Trinitarian language back on that. But 777, well, you know that's a lucky number in slots. I mean, it's a good, that's a good number. Okay, culturally, um, Hebrew Bible, this kind of mysticism around numbers, etc. Mm -hmm. 666 is imperfect. Right. It, it's one off, but it's dang close. Right. Okay? And so the people who are worshipping this beast from the sea, they take on that number too. Mm. Where it kind of looks like it, mm -hmm. but it isn't. But it isn't it. And they have fallen into this trap um, away from allegiance to Christ, Christ into this other thing and it's not you know oh this this disgusting monster we see it as a disgusting monster shows up mm -hmm. right but it's deceptive because actually it looks a lot mm -hmm. like Christianity mm -hmm. it sounds a lot like Christianity mm -hmm. but it is, is not <laughs> just off brand. Yeah. And so those are the big warnings. You would see the hellfire and brimstone. We don't have to not we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. But that's not we're not warned to oh no, look out when there's hellfire and brimstone coming down from the sky. I think I would. Okay? You'll know when that's coming. Yeah. This is saying, no, it's going to look so much like yeah. the faith. Like, I know you guys aren't going to get tripped up and decide to start worshiping the emperor. Right? That's mm -hmm. not the concern so much as this thing that's just so close yeah. and isn't. So when we see our, our symbols, the symbols of Christianity tied to the symbols oh, the of state violence even yeah. uh oh oh no yeah. right you know when we see <clears throat> that there there are people protesting state violence and their the president orders them tear gassed to disperse so that he can take a photo opportunity in front of a church in which he's holding the Bible upside down? Close. <laughs> what, that's revelation stuff. Yeah. Not the horror movies. Mm -hmm. That's revelation stuff. It's an inversion. It's a one-off. We're supposed to, oh, look, you appropriated a church as a symbol of power and might. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. I think another issue, an issue here is that a lot of these folks, I think, who have appropriated these symbols in this way, who are wearing, let's say, the t-shirt that has this mingling of symbols and verses from Joshua or, my goodness, blessed are the peacemakers. We see that thrown around in this stuff, too, yeah. as though that's what's going on. But um, I think they actually have very, very little affinity with Christianity or the faith. Right. It's certainly not the kind of biblical literacy to say, oh, what's the book of Joshua about? What's going on in there? 
is and is that something I want to stand with or not? Yeah. Um, it's a cultural Christianity. Yeah. It's a cultural form of Christianity, empty of the commitment to Christ's way. It's empty of the, <clears throat> the teachings of the faith entirely. So it's use it's using the language of the faith, right? So these verses taken out of any kind of context, mm -hmm. reappropriated for a con a completely foreign context. Yeah. Um, so it kind of looks like a Christian thing. And then it looks like there's some kind of Christian or religious endorsement. Right. That's the problem, too. Take uh, Joe Schmo off the street who's got his flag cross shirt on. Probably hasn't thought these things through. But that kind of goes back to what you're saying. With the, uh, it looks close, but it's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. I think you can trace back pretty clearly how we got to where we are just in the last 30 years or so. Mm. Which is, you know, this whole culture war thing. And what has, what is seems to be rising to the top is cultural Christianity and fighting the culture war. Um, you know, when I was early on, of course, I was early on in my faith, I, you know, I was so interested in philosophy. And I came across some books by a guy named Francis Schaeffer who had written books uh, specifically dealing with philosophy. And, you know, his position was, um, Jesus has the answer to all your epistemological and metaphysical questions and so on. <clears throat> but he also wrote this book in 1976 called How Then Shall We Live? And he uses art and philosophy and so on to make this argument that um, if society is built on God, then you have an absolute foundation upon which to build and you'll have kind of like this controlled chaos. People are still going to be hard to handle, but as long as it's based on God, then society will be as healthy as it can be. And he pits that against uh, what he calls humanism, you know, he's kind of rants against the Enlightenment and, and things like this, because he says if we have a society based on humanist principles, then essentially everything degenerates into relativism. Truth is relative, morality is relative, and so on and so forth. So he writes this book in 1976. It's, it sells thousands in the first month amongst the evangelical community. And it, out of the book they develop a 10-part docu-series on this idea that you have, uh, you basically have to fight a culture war if you want to save your freedoms and so on. Well Jerry Falwell hooks onto this and really promotes it. And this becomes the ideology of the Christian right. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the book, Schaefer rails against not just the Enlightenment, but evolution, and against abortion. And you can pretty much trace when evangelicals begin to focus on taking political action to the release of this book. And around that time, you know, the early 80s, they start joining with conservative Catholics and then this becomes the Christian right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I can remember in the 2000s, you know, you would see all these arguments from Christians about we have to save the culture, you know, 
base everything on God and we'll have absolutes. But if we don't do that, everything's going to become relative and fall apart and so on. And this has been pretty much the position of the Christian right until, ironically, the last six years when all of a sudden absolute truth does not matter. Right. You know? uh, whatever's expedience for political purposes. So this initial drive to secure you know, this absolute truth and Christian truth and kind of save the country through by appropriating political power ends up turning itself on its head and now we're going to support whatever, you know, any lies or whatever to get what we want politically and essentially um, abrogating that whole initial position, you know, fear of relativism and all that. Now it's become that. Um, kind of this cultural Christianity that will do whatever is expedient to secure the political power to basically enforce a Christian, what they see as Christian values on the whole country. You know, again, kind of going back to what we were saying at the beginning, that trying to use the force of government to enforce a Christian nation, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, which, again, is so problematic. Um, so what is the proper relationship between that national identity, Christian identity. I guess I would make an, an appeal to documents like the so-called letter of Diognetus yeah. of this idea that we're both in the world and standing somehow outside of it, mm -hmm. uh, but that a Christian has sort of no nation, has an identity as a Christian and as a citizen of the kingdom of God that as we said, trumps any other allegiance. Mm -hmm. It must be the forfeit front of that. But that the state, in supplying, let's say, actual material peace, being an instrument of that, is supplying the conditions under which the faithful can, can thrive, can worship mm -hmm. together, can study. Uh, so they don't have to be at odds with one another, necessarily. But it is a contradiction for someone to be a follower of Christ, a follower of the way, a disciple on the path to the cross, to want to take the reins of power. Mm -hmm. Those two things are contradictory. Right. Um, now, that doesn't mean that someone can't use one's voice and advocate through political means mm -hmm. to further um, activities through the, the state that align with their beliefs. And that would, but that would be things like reaching toward the marginalized and uh, compelling the state to offer, you know, the means of flourishing life to folks mm -hmm. um, and to pursue what we what might consider kingdom work. But when Christians get aligned with power... It's always bad. Yeah. It's always bad. That has never worked out. Because, again, they function from two different... Uh, what power wants us to keep power. Right. What love wants is to give love. Right. So one is self-giving 
One is... Self-asserting. Yeah. Controlling. Maybe it'll help to say something about Romans 13, because that's kind of like the primary text in the New Testament that gives us some insight into how we might relate to government, or at least it says a lot about. You know, because what Paul says is every person, and so here I don't think he's talking just about Christians. He thinks every person should be subject to the governing authorities, is what he says. And his argument is that there is no authority except the authority that comes from God. And then he says the existing authorities are instituted by God. So that if you resist authority, it's basically equivalent to resisting God. Mm -hmm. Right? So he's established the authority of government. But then he, he tells us the function of government. And he says the function of government is government is God's servant for the good. Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes into, look, if you're living right, doing good, you shouldn't be afraid, if you're not, that the government has been given, quote-unquote, the sword to kind of restrain evil so that people can live in peace, which is kind of what you were saying a moment ago. <clears throat> One thing I don't like about how people interpret that passage is they'll say, well, then, if whatever government does is right because God has instituted them as an authority. Right. But as, clear, as Paul clearly points out, they have a particular function. That is, they are God's servant for the good. Right. So clearly when a government is doing something that is not good, they're not functioning as God's servant, and therefore, at that point, their authority is null and void as far as what they're doing at that point. Well, right. Well, they're also challenging your allegiance, right? I mean, that's... I when think they even say ultimately to, yeah. the issue, if they're saying, if you have conflicting orders mm -hmm. from the Lord of Life right. and the state legislature, what, what are you going to do? Right. For, Jesus is saying there is no choice. There's, right. there, you know, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. So the, it's a very black and white situation in his mind. But this idea that there are unjust laws, there are unjust um, orders, there are activities and pursuits of the government that, of any government ultimately, that are going to be opposed to the commandments of God. Right. Uh, and so the faithful choice in that case then is to pursue the commands of God even though it you know is going to be disobedient to any government power I mean isn't that essentially what Peter says to the religious leaders when they try to tell them to quit healing people and he's like uh, we don't listen to anybody but God so we're yeah. just going to keep on healing folks sure and then they get thrown in jail right I mean, that's an act of civil disobedience, essentially. Obviously, in that situation, somewhat of a theocracy, but still. Right. Yeah. Interesting. What do you think the takeaway is, Charlotte? I wonder if these things would be possible, again, if we didn't have such a low biblical literacy, even within our churches, you know? I mean, particularly in American Christianity. You think? Would, I wonder, you know, would it spark somebody's mind to actually go... Wait a minute. Yeah. 
Those are conflating two things that don't. Or that's a weird, why would you use that scripture on that t-shirt? Yeah. You know, um, I wonder about that. I guess if you're not exposed to that, then you don't worry about having to reconcile those competing ideas. And maybe that's decades and decades, too, of preachers walking away from those more difficult texts or the texts that in particular are going to challenge American cultural identity. And the status quo, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And or or trying to, you know, soften them by you know, moralizing, spiritualizing them rather than saying, Jesus just no, he really, told that man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's happening right now with this use of kind of vaguely Christian symbolism mingled with national symbolism because that's also being used to bolster up hate and violence. It's not just a, let's say, theoretical argument no. about a con conflict of symbols. And it's real-life consequences. It's hurting the faith. I mean, why yeah. would you want to be called a Christian right now? Well, let's face it. Most people who are not Christian are probably going to identify American Christians with one political party. Sure. That's strange. Yeah. And it's one that actually wants to hurt women and immigrants and marginalized folks. Yeah. And the hungry, and the poor, yeah. and literally the same specific groups that Jesus told us to reach out to. Yeah. That all of Scripture had been telling us to reach out well, to. Well, whatever you've done to the least of me, you know, you didn't visit me when I was in prison, you didn't welcome me when I was a stranger, you didn't feed me when I was hungry. Christians of good faith have to make hard choices in this moment, as we are always called to make hard choices. Yeah. But hard choices in this moment to oppose this kind of use of symbols and the very things that stand behind them. Yeah. The rights of the civic religion have extended so far into even this greeting beyond kind of, you know, the Lord be with you and also with you. Uh -huh. The new greeting is, and thank you for your service. This reverence for the military industrial complex, this reverence for the police state, for the fascist use of violence to protect property and white nationalist values has become so ingrained in all so many subtle interactions that we have that to oppose, to even question, you know, if I ask, what does Labor Day, how did that become a military holiday? Mm -hmm. But everything is now because that's the new imperial cult. Mm. And when you are accused here of not supporting the military, of not supporting the police, you've become an outcast, an ultimate kind of pariah, because you're seen as 
your lo your lack of loyalty mm -hmm. somehow <clears throat> being detrimental both to those institutions and to the very ideal of America. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I hear you saying is is taking on cult like way. I'm talking yeah, I'm talking about <clears throat> the cult of military parades, the cult of the air shows, the cult of singing the national anthem at all these things that have nothing to do with a national event or... These are aspects of the state religion. They're asking us to constantly reaffirm our allegiance our in the, to the state, our pride in the state, mm -hmm. our commitment to the instruments of the state. Mm -hmm. And that that is, has such power and is self-feeding... And, and if, you, if you question it, you become a heretic. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah it has that religious go. quality. It's an orthodoxy. Right. Of sorts, yeah. Right. And because you're not, you're not met with an opposition that says, oh, do you not support this particular action of our military or something? It's the military as a stand-in for the ideals, again, of America, which are a stand-in for things that... The Bible specifically says comes from God alone. Okay, yeah. We definitely gotta keep the two separate. <laughs>